Neil Bullion is the founder of HappySelling.io. He's the host of the SDR Disco Show. He's also worked with over 500 reps across his career. He's helped teams generate $20 million and close one business, and he's really a special guest for me. In this episode, we talk through a variety of important topics like how he gets better as a sales coach, how he overcomes imposter syndrome, his approach when coaching low performers, but especially important is a segment when he gets into how he started his consultancy and kind of what he was going through at the time. He reveals some very personal challenges that he was facing and some stuff that a lot of us might be able to relate to. It's truly an inspiring story of resilience and extreme mental fortitude. Cool. Well, I, I'm happy to have you here, man. Thank you for joining. Uh, you know, this has been a long time waiting for me to launch this thing off. And finally, we're here. Woohoo! Yes, yes. And we've been good buds for a long time on Instagram. Yes. Traditional, like, social media, good friends. I mean, years in this, too. This isn't something yeah, yeah, that yeah. you and I go way, way back on. Way on back. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know a little bit about your journey. My audience doesn't. Um, so I want to... Talk about your current situation, if I can, right now. You've had mm -hmm. some recent, a recent change, I should say, in your career. Why don't you tell yeah. us about what that looks like? Yeah. So, um, you know, historically, I've been doing like a lot of sales training. Um, and towards the back end of last year, I had a lot of my training clients asking for coaching, mm -hmm. where they were needing coaching for their leadership, because a lot of these, you know, sales managers had been individual contributors themselves. Um, but now they've been taking, you know, a leadership position. It was the first time they were doing it, Derek. Um, and they kind of turned around to me and said, Neil, do you do any training for managers? And I was just like, no, <laughs> I don't. I train SDRs. And they were like, well, you know, you, you have a lot of experience doing leadership positions. Is it something you could maybe help us out with? So with one of my clients, about eight of their sales leaders, uh, I gave them like weekly coaching. And I, I really loved it, you know, because it wasn't me having to, you know, prepare any sort of presentations or any frameworks or, you know, whiteboards and studio, etc. It was just having a chat like we are now and asking them, you know, how can I help? And it was about onboarding. It was about, you know, performance. It was about how do we manage employees that are struggling, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I would just give them my experiences of what I had done in those positions. Um, and then funnily enough, uh, you know, around October uh, last year, two sales leaders and a founder that I knew reached out and said, Neil, we're, we're starting a new business um, and it's around sales coaching. Would you be interested? And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> tell me more. Um, so the, these guys, they uh, originally worked for a company called Refract, which was uh, conversation intelligence, so call recording. Yeah, yeah. Story this, uh, Richard, uh, Richard Smith, he was at yeah. Refract, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Richard, Mark, and Stuart, they wrote that cool book, Problem Prospecting. Exactly. Um, but basically, Kevin, who was the the, the founder of Refract, now Alego, uh, a US company because they were acquired. Alego? Uh, the onboarding Alego. company? Yes, exactly yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the, the, they, uh, Kevin and uh, Richard, sorry, Kevin and Mark reached out to me in October and said, Look, we're doing this thing. Would you be interested in a chat? And I was like, hell yeah, let's have a chat. And the story goes, Derek, um, whilst they were building Refract, a lot of their customers are saying, we've got this cool conversation intelligence tool for call monitoring and, you know, call recordings. Does Refract provide any coaching services on the calls that they're reviewing? And Refract and, well, Kevin and Mark were like, no, we don't do that. We just provide the tech. And Kevin and Mark realized there was this gap in the market where people needed help with coaching. So they decided to launch this company called mysalescoach.com. Um, and they were looking for coaches. And they said, I was like on, on the top of the list. And I kind of said to them, why me? You know, like of all the people, like, why me? And they just kind of said, well, you know, we've interacted with you over the years. We've known you. We see your content on LinkedIn. We see you're really passionate about sales development reps uh, and prospecting. We, we just wanted to know, would you be open to it? So what they did for me, Derek, was... Uh, we worked with a couple of pilot clients, uh, like one or two companies or as coaching their SDR teams and leaders. And we was getting great feedback. And as of January 1st, we launched uh, as a company and we've got three other coaches on board as well. And dude, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> I, I can't lie. I'm loving it. Well, you're helping people get better every day and you've been doing this for a while. Uh, so mm -hmm. I want to unpack my sales coach a little bit more. But before I do, how do you, how do you get better as a sales coach? What do you do? to sharpen your sword so that you can be the best coach? That's a really good question. And 
the good news is I learned that this week. Um, (laughs) So I've been working with about seven to eight different companies at mysalescoach.com. And the really cool thing is we have coaches in-house as well that can provide us some coaching. Very good. So I was speaking to uh, my coach or my colleague, uh, John, and was having a one-to-one. He was just like, so Neil, how how are the coaching sessions going? I'm like, yeah, they're great. You know, I'm loving it. I'm getting good feedback. And he said, okay, cool. Um, Walk me through kind of like how your sessions are going, you know, like what's the first session like? And I'm like, I've got this presentation. I'm introducing like who I am, like how the coaching relationship works. And then I kind of focus on them and what their goals are. And he said, okay, that's fine. That's great. He said, but why are you doing like the presentation? And I said, well, you know, I want to make it look official and like they're part, part of the brand and I'm part of this. I'm not just some consultant that's just jumping in. I'm part of the crew. There's, there's a, there's a method to the madness. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, being a seller myself, I'm all about selling myself. That's what I have to do. And if you can sell anything, you should be able to sell yourself, right? Yeah, 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 exactly, dude. Um, so, you know, the conversation then went on and he just said, you know, what, what are your thoughts about the calls and is there anything you could do different? And he just kind of said, like, why are you doing the presentation? And, you know, you're getting to the latter end of the call where you're talking about them. He said, could you flip it around? And I was just like, why? And he just said, well, why do you think? He wouldn't give me the answer. He had to get make me think about this. He's and I said, the, that process of asking questions. Yeah, 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 exactly. So he was coaching me. And I knew he was doing it, but I'm, I love it when people do that to me, right? Um, and it was just kind of transpired what it was. I was trying to gain their trust by showing them that I'm somebody that knows my stuff. And then secondly, um, I was trying to tell them about how this relationship is going to work because I'd hope that they'd want to continue after being with me. Mm-hmm. So there was a, an element of an insecurity coming from myself, which was then coming in a sales pitch and a presentation versus a coaching session. And the other piece was, you know, when we're doing cold calling and all that, he kind of reviewed some things and he said, it looks like you're telling them what to do. And I was like, and he said, why are you doing that? <clears throat> I said, because I'm a sales trainer, that's what I do. And he's like, yeah, I know. But do you think you could do it a different way? And I was just like, maybe ask them to share me their calls and to walk me through how they're doing things. And he was like, I think we have a winner now. Maybe that would so, work. What do you think? <laughs> More questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he said, all right. He said, how would you do this call differently then? I said, well, maybe let's skip the presentation. Mm. Just introduce myself very briefly because I'm who I am. And then ask them to tell me their story. Uh, from their story, I would then ask them, what are their goals? What are their aspirations? How are they looking to get there? And ultimately, what did they want to get out of these coaching sessions? And dude, as soon as that happened, I had kind of like an aha moment going on. And I jumped into three coaching sessions thereafter with my coaches, and the calls just went much better. Completely you know? transformed. Yeah. Yeah. And I it's like like what we're pitching is like coaching can definitely improve people in their craft. And just a little bit of coaching can really change a dynamic. And it happened with myself. I saw I was, you know, drinking from the Kool-Aid. And the conversations that transpired, like the, the coaches were much more forthcoming. The conversation was was just absolutely flowing. Uh they were sharing ideas and techniques and things like that. And I was able to you know, not jump in and say, well, actually, you should do it this way. It was more like, hmm, that's really cool. What were you going to do about it? Or what do you think they're going to, how they're going to react? So I think the beauty here is coaching people and learning to be a better coach comes from being coached yourself and being open to it. Right. But also getting to learn from your coaches as to what they're doing in the trenches. Exactly. Then, you know, increases my knowledge. And then I can take that and impart it on to the next person that I speak to. Knowledge so, transfer. Yeah, yep. 100%. Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's a real life example this week. I love that. I love that. And I ask a lot of leaders that I interview how do, and consultants, how do they get better? What do you do to sharpen? Because this podcast is all about that for me is how do I mm-hmm. get better? How can I create a channel to get feedback and get insights and ask tough questions of movers and shakers and industry experts like yourself? to mm-hmm. sharpen my blade, if you will. So I'm stealing all the goodies from, from you guys, but you said something uh, about your insecurity is what drove the so front end of that presentation. We sort of mm. talked about your story a little bit. Mm. Can you unpack that a little bit more? What you, you kind of glossed over that piece because I, I feel like there's more there that we can learn from in like yeah. why you did that 
and kind of where that came from and once you changed you know, swapped it out why were you so determined to be hey this is me uh, you, you said insecurity but mm. help me un uh, unpack that you, you've been doing this for a long time you've been coaching people for a long time it's not like I don't think you're an insecure person whatsoever but well, where did that come from yeah really really good question and again happy to fully dive into this and be an open book so we, we I, I've heard this quite a lot in the past few weeks where people I will share my insecurities with them and they'll kind of flip it back to me and say you seem like a really calm person Neil like, why would you be insecure? And I'm like, I'm anything but calm, trust me. Uh, but it may be the way that I come across, you know, but it's because I've gone through a lot of either traumatic experiences or I've had a lot of things happen in my life, which has, you know, shaken me up a little bit. But coming back to this specific topic here, um, to kind of give you an insight into my mind, right? So I'm about to meet a new, uh, a new soft, uh, a new company. And I'm about to meet this new SDR or BDR or BDR leader that I've never met in my uh, in my life. And, you know, they haven't come through my lead funnel. They've come through my sales coach's funnel. My sales coach have had the onboarding conversation. They've kind of sold the vision and dream to them. And now I'm meeting them for the first time. I'm asking myself, are they going to believe in me? Are they going to take, you know, the advice that I give? Am I going to have a decent conversation with them and create, an, you know, a hopefully an ongoing relationship of coaching, coachee? All of these worries and niggles come into your head. So uh, I've always believed in, you know, try, you know, first impressions count. And I always want to make sure that I make the best impression when I meet somebody for the first time. No second first impressions. Yeah, you know. So uh, and uh, another thing which is kind of daunting for a coach is you have no idea what topic they're going to be bringing to that call. You have no idea as to, you know, how serious the problem is for them. How much have they thought about it? Are they looking for somebody just to give them the answers or, you know, are they somebody they that think they able... have a problem? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, all these sort of worries. And but at the same time, I love this stuff because I also believe you need to do something that scares the hell out of you every day, because if you're not, then you're not living. Right. Um, so. Like we, with these insecurities, these are things which are normal and I have them every day and it's a normal thing to happen. But what I try to do is when they happen, I just like, all right, Neil, you're feeling a little insecure. You're feeling a little bit scared. You're feeling alive though, right? Uh, and then the other side of it is I always try to say to myself, what if this goes right? You know, what happens if this goes into a beautiful conversation? If you just focus on Love the that. conversation you know, nine times out of 10 will go right. But then the other side of it is even if it doesn't go right, at least I want to leave it in a better position than I found it. That's kind of my goal when I come into these calls. I love that. And it sounds, what I'm hearing is that you're changing the narrative in your mind, you know, from worry and uncertainty and wanting to convey a level of certainty as a result to mm -hmm. like, look, you got this, you've been, you're here for a reason. And focus on the positive outcomes that are going to come from this session and the reason i want to unpack that is because i think a lot of managers face that exact same issue whether at every stage of leadership whether you've been mm -hmm. doing it for 20 years or you're a first-time leader trying to um you know position yourself and convey that you are competent and confident and you know in that position for a reason mm -hmm. right because a lot of times you haven't met your reps or you don't meet you don't deal with them very often so we will um you know sort of project a bit and yeah. i think that's to your point when you stop projecting it gives people an opportunity to be for you to be more approachable with people and for people to be more comfortable themselves and i love your vulnerability which is another aspect of of leadership i was speaking with a, a vp of sales yesterday he's 20 years in med device and um one of the most important pieces of feedback that he gave was the whole people first strategy and being vulnerable, being open and honest. And a lot of times they'll tell you to kind of like keep boundaries in those relationships. And he's like, no, man, forget that. Like get to know your people, mm. be open and honest about where your shortcomings are, if you have any, yeah. and uh, your team will, will gravitate towards that. So this might sound a little, uh, you know, nebulous or washy, if you will, but no, 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 I believe stuff. in it. 
No, well, and, and I, I, you know, people will join into a podcast like this, maybe thinking they're going to hear some tactical things they can deploy right in the moment, and which this probably really is. I mean, just changing the mm. thought process. My point here is that some of this stuff isn't always about strategy and tactics. Sometimes it's about the people elements and how yeah. and understanding how they work. So I, I appreciate you being honest about that. You also said something earlier about um, the things that you coach on and what you help with. And one of those being delivering feedback and helping mm. reps that are struggling. So when you're coaching a manager who's coaching a rep that's underperforming, mm. what is the talk track that you're giving them? Right. We know don't don't make it a surprise. If you have an underperformer and you need to have an accountability, a you know, corrective action conversation, it shouldn't be a surprise. We 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 mm. already know that, I think. But what else do you coach them around in terms of delivering? you know, tough feedback, tough love, if you will. Yeah, definitely. So I've been in that position myself and I've been that person that's have had to deliver it and I've had to, you know, help people that are going to have to deliver it as well. So I think coming back to your earlier point of being human, you know, being authentic and being open and vulnerable is one of the key things that you need to take into consideration. And especially for a rep that might be completely new to this game, and industry as well. We have to give them a little bit of grace. So when I'm speaking to a manager and he, he or she comes to me and says, Neil, I've got this rep here. You know, they're not hitting the numbers. They're not doing this. There's no love. There's no passion in it. There's just, you know, I don't know what the hell to do. And I'm pulling my hair out. What should I do? And my initial question to them is, why do you think that this is a problem for them? And I want you to give me every answer that you can, whether it be, you know, granular, uh, metric driven but also, you know, what could be going on in that rep's mind? You know, are there any other factors, you know, affecting them in their work and their day-to-day -day life? Because some things uh, with underperformance, I've realized, is not because of the workplace. And sometimes it's not the actual targets. It's stuff going on in their personal life, Facts. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that I've really tried to do being a manager or a coach or a trainer or anything like that, when I'm meeting somebody for, you know, a catch up or a one to one, the first question I ask them is, how are you? And normally, Derek, what you hear is, yeah, do you know what? Things are going great. I'm sending out some sequences. I've got some people contact me on LinkedIn. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, cut that for a minute. Can I just ask you one more time? Like, how are you? How are you as the person doing? And Sometimes things that I've heard is just like, you know what, Neil, I'm really worried about work or something's happened at home or something's going on in my personal life and it's really screwing my head a bit. I'm like, cool. Let's forget about work for a minute and let's talk about that. Again, you can share what you want or you can keep what you want within yourself. You know, either either way, I'm cool with it. Right. So the first thing I say to a manager is just have an honest conversation with them. And if it's possible in this day and age um, to go out for a lunch or a coffee and do it face to face and get away from the workplace. And for a moment, Derek, take your manager hat off and just speak to this person on a one to one level. Now, there are two sides to this. There could be the person that is genuinely they've got something going on that's not great and it's not happening and it's not working. There's stuff going on in life. And then the other side of the coin is this person just does not love what they're doing. And they don't really have an interest or vested interest to continue in what they're doing. So I'll take the first one uh, where it's, you know, a personal thing going on. So I say to the manager is like, allow them to come to you with the problem and explain it in their own words and kind of preface it by saying like, look, I'm taking my manager hat off and I just want you to talk to me as Neil. What's going down? What's going on? And is there anything I can do to help? Um, and then whilst this is going on, then share something about yourself, be a little bit vulnerable. I think, I think that creates the opening right there, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> you know, if, if I've got a brand new SDR and they're telling me they're struggling, they're worrying about their, their, their number, they're comparing themselves to their other reps and their peers, which happens naturally. Right. I then say to them, well, Hey, look, when I was first an SDR, uh, I remember being in an office in London and I'd never worked in tech before. And I had my VP of global sitting next to me and all the account executives. And they were talking about numbers in a forecast. And I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. And it scared the bejesus out of me, <laughs> you know? And I said for the first three or four weeks, I kept asking myself, am I in the right job? Am I in the right yeah, place? Over my head, maybe. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I felt like an imposter. And I said, but you know what? Things kind of worked out. But I had a good conversation with my boss every now and then to, you know, talk about this sort of stuff. So I've been there. 
So re- relating their story to yours to an extent helps you know build that relationship. Don't make it board. about you, but intentionally yeah. let them know that hey, I can relate, uh, and then tie it back to to what they're going through. I I find the exact same thing works when someone's saying they're struggling with X in their personal life. If I have something remotely similar to that, it's an opportunity for me to be open and honest. Not make it about me, but say hey, look, mm-hmm. I can feel what you're going through a bit here. Um, yeah. And be and it's the genuine piece, right? Like you have mm. to be genuine about it. it. Can't be this, okay. And now I'm in empathetic mode. Let me be this phony empathetic leader. It has yeah. to be this. Yeah, I don't. We'll stay here an extra half an hour if we need to. Like I give a shit about you, man. You good? Yeah. Let's let's talk. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, after having these sort of conversations and bringing those things out of that person and allowing them to know that this is a safe space mm-hmm. you know i'm not going to bite your head off i'm not going to think if anything my job is to make you successful but the only way i can make you successful is knowing what do you need and is that emotional support is it like understanding your tools your process and stuff like that we can do that that's my job as a manager to to help you out as on as well so that's one side of the coin is just you know be open, be vulnerable, tell them that it's a safe space and that you can talk confidentially. And it's not going to, it's not going to result them being fired for being honest. If you're scared, put your hand up. Right. Right. Now, Now, if they don't love what they do though, this is, this is something different, right? Yeah. Yeah. So coming into this piece, uh, the rep that doesn't really like it or love it, we need to have a conversation about it. And it's, you know, I've coached, managed, and trained over like 500 reps in my time, and I can see the buying signals when that stuff is happening, right? And you have to be very uh, mindful how you go into that conversation. So like two years ago, I was in one company where I had two or three reps that were kind of in that space, right? And again, it was, let's go out for a coffee, let's go out for a chat, and let's just sit down. I just want to, you know, walk through some stuff. And the way that I went into that conversation would be like, so Derek... You know, like when we go on to Hangouts or Zooms, I kind of see that you're not always present. Sometimes your screen's off, your camera's off. Um, I can also see like with numbers, you know, activities dipped a little bit. Um, And sometimes, you know, in your outreach, I'm just not seeing a spark as once I did before. And it's just got me a little bit worried. And I just want to know, is everything okay? And what I'm doing is I'm surfacing the problems that I'm observing and seeing, but not being judgmental about it, but just bringing it up. Drawing any conclusions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I'm not going to say, hey, you're doing bad. You're doing shit. This isn't working. You need to get the hell out. It's not even that type of conversation, right? But it's these are the things I'm observing. And I just wanted to know in your own words, what's going down, right? Um, And sometimes initially the first scratching of the surface is, well, you know what? I don't think that I'm doing this and I'm trying my hardest and I'm trying my best and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm like, cool. So what do you think we can do together to get this back up on point and on plan? Let let me back up there for a second. Let me interrupt you. In my experience, it's, it's rarely, uh, and it depends on the individual, right? So let's not draw, draw, draw any broad brushstrokes here. Yeah. But in my experience, often when you have that conversation with the person who doesn't love what they do, the response isn't, I'm not making enough calls. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not practicing. I'm not doing my part. Most often what I hear is, well, the tools suck. The process is screwed up. Um, I'm confused about who my manager is. They haven't paid me for last month's uh, meetings or deals. And there's this, there's this lack of accountability that that you hear often mm-hmm. in, in that in that context that you're giving yeah. like the person doesn't love what they do mm. um so can you unpack that though right that's yeah, the yeah. more difficult conversations when someone's starting to point the finger and we don't want to necessarily say dude hey, hey you're pointing the finger or uh, yeah like you know <clears throat> we want to approach that in a in, in the right manner but for a leader it's one of those things in the back of your mind you're like man this own this you you would do so much better <laughs> if you just focused on what you can control and stop obsessing on the things around you that yeah of course they may not be perfect and in a lot of startup environments there's a lot of change and things are developing mm-hmm. but what would you say to that person who's pointing the finger at everything else around and the environmental conditions as why they're not being successful very very good question and again it's something i experienced and a vp of sales uh kind of helped me coached me on how to figure out this sort of conversation. So this VP said, when you're bringing up a problem with a problematic rep, 
and they're pointing the finger at everyone, what they're doing is excuses. Mm -hmm. If you hear excuse after excuse, like the tool's not working, you know, comp's not being paid, or this isn't happening, or this isn't happening, then that's one thing. But if you hear somebody come up with an excuse, but a solution to that problem, well, if we had this platform in, and we had this, and we had this, and we had this, then I think it would start working. If I had more clarity on my comp plan and my territory, and I knew what was happening, this like this, then I think I could move forward. So there's a difference between the person who's just giving excuses, but the one that's also giving the solution. Is being as constructive, well. yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So if we deal with the person that is just giving excuses, what I then say to them is, you know, I'll give them a bit of grace because first off, they've now realized that I see the problem. So things are aware. I will then say, okay, if I can take these things off your plate, can we agree that hopefully things should improve from that point on? And normally what you hear is, yeah, of course. So a week or two goes by, I've solved all the problems. I've, I've spoken to RevOps, I've spoken to finance, I've spoken to marketing, I've spoken to the sales leader, told him what's going down. And if we're still in the same place, I will then come back to that person and say, right, last time we spoke, you said this, 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 I fixed this, 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 but here we are. Can you tell me how we got here? Rather than saying, what mm. have you done wrong? How did we get here? The we now in that language. Yeah, yeah exactly. And if they don't have an answer, then I'm like, well, look, here's the reality. If you, you know, when, when we're talking about targets, if I can see you putting in enough activity, but you're low on targets, I can defend you because it shows that you're trying. If your activity is low, but you're on track with your number, then there's nothing to worry about. But if I have activity and I have target low, then I can't defend you. And that's the reality of it. And this is could this could be. Uh, a route that we're going to have to go down in terms of performance and you know pips and things like that and I always say to them I don't want to go to that route but I have to let you know that is a potential eventuality right right um so I went through this th three times begrudgingly with some people in the past and it did end up being on a pip and you know before we went on to the pip uh I kind of said to them look this is what's going to happen we're going to put a pip in place but it'll be an informal pip mm -hmm. you get one chance on the informal pip to try and improve things. If it doesn't improve, then it goes into a formal pip. If it doesn't work on the formal pip, then you know the reality is it could be termination. I have to be honest and upfront with you on this. Right. right. And normally, Derek, a pip is really a, a last resort, and hence sure. why I say make the first pip informal. When I've shown the informal pip, I will then either have a rep saying to me, "I'm happy to go in all on this. Let's make it work. I really love this job. I want to go." Or I'll have somebody say to me, "I can't be bothered with that." I don't, you know, I don't think this is something I should be doing. Yeah, a lot of times it self fixes itself. You know, they they start looking and, uh, you know, yeah, they end up leaving or or something like that. Or yeah. I've had people on PIP that have turned it around. I think the important thing about when you're starting to explain that PIP process, you also have to include how someone gets off the PIP. And often mm -hmm. we 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 miss that when we look at programs. A lot of organizations I meet with don't even have a PIP policy. Mm -hmm. A. So if you're listening to this and you're a revenue leader, get that in in place. And don't be afraid to have that conversation early in the hiring process when they're onboarding and explaining, have it in your playbook. Like this is what happens yeah. when people don't perform well. We always are really good about talking about the upside and the accelerators, but let them know that there's, there's the opposite side of it. But yeah, explaining that what it takes to get off the pit plan, I think is an important piece in those, in those dialogues as well. So that they have to understand there's hope to this. This isn't yeah. a, you know, a uh, foregone conclusion that we're separating this is just another way of lighting a fire and for me to hold me accountable as your leader to help you in a very you know strategic and tactful way i'm going to spend more time with those that are on a performance plan than those that that aren't and that's just the reality yeah. of it right yeah 100% and i think you you alluded to a very good point uh when when you're going through the hiring process you know the one thing that i used to be bad on was just not amplifying the fact that this is a metric based role and it is based on targets and KPIs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, like <laughs> I live in an ideal world where I'm like, anybody can get into sales development. Everybody can get into sales. And that is true. You know, a lot of people can get into this game like I did right. and like yourself. Right. But reminding them that this is an entry role, not just to sales, but a whole company. But in this first role, you are driven based on your numbers and your performance. So I just want to know, are you up for somebody that's going to be doing dials, sending out outreach, having conversations, updating your CRM? I'll teach you how to do these and I'll make you productive in doing so, but are you on board? 
And, you know, if things don't work out, then we're happy to raise a flag early our side. And equally, you can raise a flag and let me know if this isn't a fit for you. Because for those that I've either been put on PIP or I've helped them go through the PIP and they've come out the other side winning. Uh, I've even had people that have gone through the PIP, they've won it, and they then have come to the conclusion that sales isn't for them. Wow. Wow, yeah, and, wow. and like you know, like I remember taking this one. They went through that whole thing. They walked on coals. Yeah, and they said, nah, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, this isn't for me. But the, the the feedback I got from them was, I now realize the pit was there for a reason. You actually did help me, and I actually saw the result and the impact of being coached that way. But it also did make me realize that maybe sales isn't for me. And I'm like, as long as you have come to that conclusion, I'm happy to support you in that. You know, I'm really sad to see you leave. But I also say it to the people that I put on PIP who say they don't want to do this gig or, you know, they've come to a bitter end on it. I'm like, if there's any way that I can help you get into another company or I can do an introduction, I'm happy to get you there. Or if it's if I can help you get into another department where you think you'll actually have more fun and have more fulfillment from your job, I'm happy to do that for you. I'm happy to bat for you. Mm -hmm. But if you give me nothing and you give me no results, then there isn't much I can do. I can't. Does that, I know that's been a roundabout answer. No, yeah, no, exactly. that's spot on. That's spot on because, you know, uh, the coaching isn't just about the skill set in that exact role. You're coaching people to be better and to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. be fulfilled. And so sometimes coaching people to and helping them move on in their career, uh, often in my experience, those folks end up going on to do bigger and better things. They go into environments so. that they're truly fulfilled and happy in. And yeah. it, it, it may not be the path that we as individuals would want or I sort of envisioned, but we don't all have a crystal ball here. And so that's why we have to understand that sometimes we're helping them get into a better position. And if we go yeah. through this process of coaching on a regular basis, right, we're doing that level of effort, uh, we're going down that performance plan, we're spending the time, we're being very scriptive about this, prescriptive about this. And it still doesn't work out, then let's let's pay attention to the signals. And I've seen many times where reps that uh, we've parted ways with have gone on and grown their career and, and done great things. So uh, yeah. I know it's the hardest part about the job is taking people down that path. It's we it keeps us up at night as leaders as much as it keeps the other person up realistically. Uh, if you mm -hmm. care about people, if you're that per that that type of leader, so yeah. I appreciate you breaking that down. I want to change gears. Yeah. I mentioned being yeah. happy. So yes. uh, we have a phenomenal podcast and tell me more about happy selling. I just, just break it down for me in, in two minutes. What is happy selling? Is it just the podcast or is there more to it? Good question. So happy selling is my business where I provide SDR training. Um, and, you know, this is typically like a seven week course where I'll work with SDRs that are doing the role of an SDR and then they get two hours with me per week where I give them coaching and training on best practices on being an outbound SDR, right? Mm -hmm. So Happy Selling as a business, I've been running for the past five years. I've worked with some great SaaS companies and leaders and helped basically. The reason I get called in, Derek, is an SDR will go through onboarding two or three weeks. They'll be given a tool stack. They'll be given a list of accounts and they're told to go after and then all of a sudden they're not getting any results and the sales leaders are scratching their heads. Like we've just hired these great SDRs. What the hell's going on? And I'm like coaching an SDR within the first three months is really important as well as a training. But the two weeks that you're giving them may just be, here's our product. Here's a couple of AE calls. Go listen to them. These are the tools that we use and how we use it with our CRM. And these are our ICP go after it. That's not enough for them, especially if this is their first time in sales. So what I try to do is give them the hard skills and the soft skills uh, whilst they're actually still doing the role. So I'm by their side for the first two months of their role. And typically what we see at the end of those, you know, that training course is they understand their role and why they're so important. They know how to have a conversation with a prospect rather than being scripted and they run know how to run independent discovery calls. So that's kind of what like happy selling does. So I'm the best way to put it is I'm beyond onboarding when a brand new SDR comes into their company. Fair enough. Um, a part of happy selling is obviously <laughs> I took uh, the the idea from Gary V where he's like, don't run your business just like an advertising business, run it like a media company, right? So with uh, during a point when we went into the pandemic, I had a, as a consultant, I had six months of no work, right? I had no revenue or any income coming in. And and this is, this is the beginning of, this is the beginning of happy selling about five years ago. Yeah. 
No, no, no. So this is like two or three years into it. So I've launched the business. I'm doing SDR training. Then we hit the pandemic Uh, and I lost all of my clients because I had no work because I wasn't onboarding or training anybody because the world was on pause. And at that point, uh, I said, how do I help me? And the best way to help me is by helping other people. And I went onto somebody's podcast for the first time as a guest, like I'm doing today. I loved it so much. And I thought, hey, I want to do that. And I said, how can I do this? And I said, why don't I do a podcast for for SDRs? And there was a lot of SDR podcasts out there. And I was like, what do I focus on? I focus on new SDRs. So maybe we should talk about that with those type of people, because that way we could help other SDRs that are new, listening to how other SDRs are doing it, right? Mm -hmm. So I created the SDR disco called Podcast, which was podcast of 30 to 40 minutes, where you've got a brand new SDR, and it's just basically run how I coach to do discovery calls introductions their stories and the next steps uh, and that's been running for about the last two years uh, we're on pause for the moment but we're coming back as of next month um, but yeah happy selling is sdr training as well as a great podcast to help brand new sdrs how many uh, your question? how many interviews have you done with uh, the uh, sdr disco po- podcast so with the sdr disco Google show in total we've done about about between 80 to 100 interviews wow. Uh, of that, 60 are live, and I've got a batch of 20 to go, but I'm currently in the process of doing those because it takes a lot of time, uh, uh, yeah, if, as you know. So, so you're yeah. still running Happy Selling, though, uh, yeah. parallel to my sales coach right now. So yeah. there, And I, I saw on, I see on your Instagram story how sometimes you'll get a lead in for Happy Selling, and then you might parlay that over to uh, my sales coach, kind of depending on the client yeah. needs, right? 100%. So that was a thing because typically when leads were coming in for happy selling, it was because they were looking for an SDR trainer or they've hired a bunch of SDRs. They've been in the company three or six months and they're struggling to build pipe. And those are the type of leads that I would get in. But I have seen as a consultant doing this business for the past two or three years, there's been a huge shift. Mm. So if we go back, um, let's say two and a half years, Nobody was looking for an SDR trainer when we was coming out of the pandemic. Everybody was looking for an SDR manager because what they had was a lot of people now coming into the tech industry from other careers and other jobs and having this new love. And they had all these SDRs joining. They needed new leaders because the old SDRs were now being promoted and they needed an SDR manager or they didn't have the headcount for an SDR manager. Now they wanted one. So I remember I had eight deals in my pipe, in my business consulting pipe. They all fell through because they didn't want a trainer. They wanted a manager. And they were asking me, do you want to be a manager now? I'm like, hell no, I don't do that shizzle anymore. And unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but gratefully, I took on one because I had to. So I was a part-time fractional SDR manager working four days a week, uh, supporting a SaaS company and building out their team, which I did very well. Um, because I think before I joined Derek, 4% of their revenue came from their outbound team. 11 months after me, 24% of their revenue came from the outbound team. Bars. So we saw a huge wow. shift. Bars. Bars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, you know, finishing off that project last year, I said, right, I'm going to go back into happy selling. I'm going to do some SDR training. I freaking love it. I had one client. Uh, I was happy. You know, it was enough money to to come in and keep me safe with my kid. Uh, and then we hear this news of a potential recession and I lost that client and I was like, oh, dang. And that's when my sales coach came in literally the day after my client handed in the cancellation of the contracts. They said serendipitously, just completely organic, hit you up at the right time, right? Like the universe is watching and they got our back, man. Just be patient, be positive. Things may not work out the way you plan, but things always work out. I, I love that piece at the end there. Thank you. Yeah. You you mentioned your son, so now it's open game. And I want to yeah. I want to ask you, and I, I ask my guests this about when they make these transitions from you know a full-time position to consulting, uh, coaching, training, whatever that professional path is that you're taking, if it's all three. But that's a scary jump uh, for mm-hmm. some people. And your son's eight now. So yep. you started happy selling five years ago. Yeah. So he was about three when you yep. took the initial plunge. Mm-hmm. What kind of stressors did that put on your personal life and your your relationship with your son at, at you know such a young age? The demanding jump that you were making. I'm sure you were you know spread thin and hyper focused and obsessed with your new 
uh, your new venture. How did you mm. juggle that and uh, and keep things? And, and were you able to? I know I I had a hard time when I first started Three Link. I had three daughters. They were all either in middle school or high school, and that was very formidable times. Of, you know, I I wasn't there as much as I should have been. Just to be completely mm. honest and vulnerable here, uh, they know that we're good. But you know, it's it, it puts a strain on the family when you make these jumps. Sometimes talk about that. Happy to talk about it, and I'm going to preface this by saying what I'm about to tell you and your audience is something that I've never really discussed on any other show or podcast or even my own, and I wanted to give the real story of what was going down when I was launching this consultancy company, uh, and it's it's a bit hard to hear, but I want to be open with it, and I just want to a wee call for that. Thank you. Yeah. So... <clears throat> I'd launched Happy Selling 2017 uh, when my my kid was quite young uh, and I had all these hopes and aspirations of, you know, owning my own business, but primarily because I wanted to spend more time with him because working a full-time gig, I was doing a lot of hours. I was in the office, I was traveling constantly and I was coming home, collecting him from kindergarten and like doing bath, bottled and bed and doing those duties whilst his mother was out, you know, working in the evening as a teacher. And I made that jump and I was like, woo. But the first jump wasn't like, this is happy selling. This is what we do. I had to kind of find a client to pay me a regular income, similar to that of a nine to five, whilst I was doing happy selling stuff on the side as well. And basically I was working three jobs at one in in one go. Mm. But unfortunately what happened um, with that relationship, uh, it broke down and it came in a horrible way because I remember that year my father literally had a heart attack and a week later my son went into hospital for hypoglycemia and then two weeks later I found out that the other party was in a relationship with somebody else whilst that was going down um and when when that new like dude I was at my lowest of the low I was so numb at that point I can only imagine yeah yeah. And it, it took a darker turn where that person had stopped me seeing my son. And what ensued was a legal battle for two years just for me to try and get him back. So I lost my home. I lost my car. I lost my son for a period of time. And I had a lot of allegations made against me as well. You lost your mind, I'm sure. Dude, I remember I was, uh, in, uh, I've said this on someone else's show, but I'm going to go into this a bit deeper today, if that's okay with you. Yeah, man, please bring Cause, it. Because because mm-hmm. I hope, the, and the reason why I want to share it, because I know a lot of people go through shit. Exactly. And I just want to say. That's where I we understand. started at. That's where we started yeah. at. This, this yeah. personal stuff is what. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry, go ahead. So, we'll get it. So, you know, like uh, I was on my mother's living room floor when I was basically staying at theirs because I had to leave the house because things were in a very bad place. And I remember literally having my MacBook and that was the only thing I had, like they say, the only pot to piss in. That's all I had. And I remember sitting at this laptop. I hadn't seen my son for six weeks and I was bawling my eyes out and just thinking like, I've lost everything. And I remember opening up Microsoft Word and I just said, these are the things that I want. I want my son back. I want to have my own business. I want to be healthy. I want to be happy. I want to let go of some addictions that I had in my life as well. Uh, And I really wanted to regrow and relaunch and be somebody new. Mm. I didn't know how the hell I was going to get there, Derek, but I knew that I was going to do it. So with one of my contracts, it was with another sales training company based out in the US. And I was working with them most evenings, um, training a couple of their clients. I was also being an SDR manager for a cybersecurity company. And I was also doing a closing role for an event management software company. And every evening was, so daytime, it was selling, training, it was coaching. In the evening, it was calls with my lawyer to discuss the court case case. and how we were going to go through this. And the allegations that were put against me was I was a rapist. I was a pedophile. I was a drug addict. I was mentally unstable. And I was a danger to my son. And to hear this from somebody that you thought you were going to, you know, spend your life with. with yeah yeah and ultimately i had to deal with social services i had to deal with the police i had to deal with teachers that didn't want to talk to me i had to deal with doctors who thought i was this jekyll and hyde character 
um, and they didn't want to share. And I, I remember this look of every time I walked into a room to meet, either meet a teacher or an, a professional was, oh, so you're Neil. That was the look I always had by the end of the interaction. Oh, Mr. Boo, and it was so lovely to meet you. And and I kind of learned that look. Um, so, you know, but nobody knew this shit was going on other than my friends and family. But no, nobody in work or, you know, in the world of LinkedIn or all of that, they didn't know that shit was going down. And I came to a really hard point where a U.S. sales training company wanted me to go full time with them and disband happy selling. And they said, we need a kind of we need an answer from you and they wanted it pretty soon but every time i had the interaction with them i was just like i couldn't say what was going on but ultimately what i was trying to say was i want to keep that day a week free so that when i get my son back i can see him that's what i want to do but i couldn't say i didn't have the balls to say it to them at that point i just kept saying i've got another client things are quite busy at the moment i don't know if i can take it on board and then it got to a point where they just said look we just have to part our ways we can't do this anymore unfortunately you know best of luck but bye-bye and i remember like emailing them back saying look could we just have a conversation because i just want to tell you what's really going down in my personal life and maybe that might give some context and respectfully and understandably they said we don't want to get involved with personal things and i was just like okay cool you know so yeah, I was, you know, any money that I was earning as a consultant was going to pay my legal bills. That's all it was there for. And it also allowed me to, you know, get this uh, apartment so that I could move in. And like for the audience, this is half my son's bedroom and half my office studio. Yeah, yeah. And I remember buying that bed and he didn't use it for a couple of months, like a good six months. But I just had the vision of one day he's going to be with daddy and he's going to be here. Power and attention. Yeah, you know, and so there is a good side to this story. So after all the court legal battles and everything like that, I finally won access back to my son. But imagine being that I was basically kind of like the mother in the early days of that relationship, looking after this kid, like, you know, credit mm -hmm. to his mum for doing her stuff. Um, But I had to relearn to be a dad because I'd lost two years of my son's life and I didn't really know him. And imagine a court telling you that you can only see him for one hour every week. No, but for no. me, I was just like, I will have that hour. I will happily have that hour. And every time I remember walking into the contact center, he was running into my arms, giving me a hug and I'd hold back the tears of joy to see him. But then the saddening fact of, okay, now the hour's up, you have to go back. And basically, Derek, I had to like build up a pattern of contact until it got to more increased hours. But come February 2020, I was allowed to have my son in my home out of the contact center unsupervised. I remember my friends and family always saying to me like, how can you deal with this? And I said, when you lose it all, you learn fucking patience. Mm. You learn to wait. But what you learn to do is build a fucking empire in the background whilst it's going down. That was my motivation every morning, mm. that when he comes home, I want to enjoy, I want to take him on holidays, I want to make up all for that lost time. That was my driving motivation with happy selling. And the ultimate thing was that I wanted to build him an empire so that when I'm gone, he has something in his hands and he has a legacy uh, from his dad. But it gets worse. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier dude. and you had me going up the hill there for oh a no no i'm gonna and i gotta right. i gotta say real quick just for the audience like uh yeah i have the three daughters that i mentioned earlier went through a divorce uh early in their life and it was horrendous uh mm. i didn't have allegations the way that you did so i don't i can't even imagine what that feels like but did have to involve you know police and um, social services and whatnot to make sure that I could have access to my children. Eventually they came to live with me, but uh, that really hit home for me, man, because same thing as a, as a leader in the organizations that I was working at at the time, I couldn't share, I couldn't let people see that I was this, in this such fragile state actually. And, you know, um, it, does it affect your ability to perform? I, uh, yeah, but it also can affect your ability to perform in a positive way. So it sounds like this was fueling you. So you you yeah. said it gets worse though. So uh, <laughs> yeah. let's let's hear what the next yeah. part is. Yeah. So, but before going into that, I also, to your point, it does affect you, right? Mm. It affects you mentally. It affects you physically. 
But I have to be very grateful for the people that were either my clients, my students, or, you know, people that I was coaching because they sometimes on my off days noticed something wasn't cool with Neil and they allowed me to open up every now and then and tell them what was going down. And they would look at me like, dude, how the hell are you still standing? How are you, you know, still sane? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just like saying, do you know what? It's something that keeps my mind off of this stuff at the moment. And I need to keep busy. And I, I still have dreams. I'm not going to be destroyed by anybody or anything. Mm. So I get Powerful. a big credit out to those people. But then what happens next, uh, Derek, is, you know, February 2020, I get my kid back. And I'm like, yes, happy days. Then we enter the pandemic and lockdown. <laughs> that starts, Right. So I've just got my kid back and I've all these aspirations of wanting to take him out, making up for lost time. And the world turns around saying, you are not allowed to go out of your property. And during the pandemic, because my family were vulnerable because of age, I wasn't able to visit them. So my only human contact for about six to nine, 12 months was my son every other weekend. Right. That was the only human being and in human interaction that I had. I remember being in this apartment and it felt like I was in prison, you know, I was incarcerated in these four walls and literally they're gray walls. And I was just like, ah. um, so any, uh, but on the consulting side, what was really good was the pandemic happened and nobody was looking for a face. Train. Everybody needed remote training. And that's kind of where happy selling started flourishing a bit more because I was having more clients that needed that training. They needed a guy who could give energy over the cross of a zoom and help their SDRs. And I had a couple of good clients and a lot of success stories. And I and again, I was very grateful to them. But equally, they didn't know that, you know, when the Zoom sessions finished and we was going through the pandemic, I was still receiving abuse, mm. even after winning my son. Harassment and everything. Yep. Yeah, like going to go pick him up, I was threatened. Um, you know, sometimes speaking to the local authority social services and saying, this has been done against me or this has happened in the presence of my son. They were just like, they didn't want to get involved. So I had to deal with that. And also my son was so confused as well, you know, like he didn't know who to love. He didn't know which way to go because, you know, he's being saying one thing and then he's hearing another. And it's being used so, as a pawn probably as well. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm not afraid to talk about this anymore because I had kept it quiet for quite a while, but it has to be said because this is what has made me successful because the other side of this is going through all of this shit um, it built up my resilience and it built up my tolerance. So when I went into management positions where I was dealing with really annoying CEOs or hard people, that shit didn't phase me anymore because I've I felt worse. I've, I've I've been burnt by the dragon. But it also you know? created the empathetic leader that you are with yeah. your people. Like when you go through shit, you tend to give a shit about people because you yeah. don't you know what it feels like. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Because I've met a lot of brilliant salespeople, beautiful salespeople. And to your point, going through trauma, you're more tuned in to people that are also maybe going through a hard time. Hopefully not to the extent that we've been through, but some tough shit. And, you know, like the, the question that I get asked a lot is, how the hell do you know all of these things? Or how do you know so much? I'm like, because I've fucked up more than anybody that you've known. And I've dealt with a lot of shit. And I don't want to see other people suffer. So whether that's in a job or in a role, building a company or relationships or friends and stuff like that. Um, and the one bit of feedback I get now, and I've had it three or four times this week, is, Neil, you're so calm. You are, man, like a cucumber. <laughs> <laughs> but it's because we have to go through crap in life to appreciate the goodness in life. And then inspire us to help other people experience that good stuff in life when they're going through a bad time. And there's nobody I know more on a professional level than SDRs that go through hell. Right. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, Jumping into a new company, not knowing people, not knowing the nuances, the personalities, things are going to deal with difficult, toxic employees, environments and cultures. Not and being that. appreciated yeah. for this, yeah. this, this effort that you're putting out yeah. that's really, really tough, the thankless environments. Yeah. And then, yeah, going through growing your life at the same time a lot of you know sdrs are early stage in life and not all of them but uh, yeah. a lot are and so just the finding their path and finding their way and being ambitious while being in this really difficult position um and yeah layer on anything personal on top of that um neil your vulnerability says a lot about you man it, it, it really it really Thank does you. and did not we did not plan this whatsoever uh, this was completely organic conversation. So, you know, it 
it's hard to open up and you, you're it you can be scared i i have always been scared to open up i tend to be an open book myself which mm. sometimes gets me in trouble probably but um <laughs> i feel like that's what will get teams to gravitate towards you so if you're a, a leader or first-time manager what even a, a rep yourself being able to be vulnerable with people and being open and transparent that way i think this is really what draws in and creates for good relationship um mm. stop you know get past the surface the surface level shit and get to the real shit and understand your people and what they're going through you never know you might make an impact on someone's life, not just their career, uh, the way that the folks that were around you at the time you were going through this, that allowed you to open up, right? Mm. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like the one thing that I always say to my reps, my friends, my family is that I can't do this shit alone. I need good mm. people around me. And I think going through all those traumas and, you know, the battle's still not finished. We've still got a battle to go. Um, you need to have good people around you all the time. They say like you are the sum total of the five or six people that you surround yourself with. So having positive, influential people that are doing good shit in their life as well, whether it be in business or in fitness, in life and things like that, those are the people that I want to surround myself with. Because if we met the Neil five years ago, I was a very negative, dark dude. You know, I was not a happy camper. I was yeah. not a happy seller. I can tell you that, right? Wow. But I've kind of also realized you have a choice with life and how things go. And whether you're a consultant and you're thinking about taking this leap, it is one of the most craziest rides. It's super hella stressful, even if you're not going through the shit that I went through. Right. But it can be so rewarding because, Derek, the one thing I've realized, you know, people kind of say, why do you do your own business or why do you do your own consulting? And it's because I want to have control because I've been in a life where I've been controlled. And that's part of my trauma. And it could be generational trauma as well. But I want to, you know, I want to wake up in the morning and feel like this is what I want to do. I'm loving doing this. I'm enjoying it. And I want to inspire the people to do that. So with a lot of my SDRs that I've trained, coached or managed, I've said there are a couple of ways this, this is going to go down in your future career. You're either going to go into sales. You're either going to become a sales leader. You're either going to go into marketing and be a VP of marketing. You're either going to go into customer success and maybe be a leader or a team lead or a manager or somebody that's really passionate about customers. Or the other side is you might do what I did, which is becoming a founder of your own business. And, you know, if you need help on that, happy to jump in. But I think the most, and again, I know I don't want to harp on too long, but there's one thing like for any consultant or BDR or salesperson listening to this today, I spoke to a very influential sales trainer who's a bull dude with a goatee, not going to mention any names, just out of uh, respect to him, but I love him and he does, you know, make things happen. That's as much as I'm going to give. Uh, but I reached out to this dude when I thought my business was going to go down the tube and I thought things weren't working and I was in a really shit place. And I remember reaching out to him on Instagram, just saying, Hey, Mr. Sales trainer that I really look up to. I'm scared. I've got this. I need to think about this. I need to think about that. And he responded with a video message now this guy is inundated with messages and outbound and everything all day long and people want his time and he took the time to respond to me and just say neil been there done it totally understand this is maybe what you should think about and you know this has happened to me as well but he then turned around to me and said here's the thing neil i am a ceo of my own company and we're thinking about acquisitions mergers and raising capital and funding all of this he's like i have no freaking idea what the hell i'm doing i'm just figuring it out as i go along and just hearing that from him, I was just like, you're like me. I could relate to you. And I had a boost of, you know, confidence. We can make this shit happen, man. You can make um, it happen. Everything is figure outable. As a, yeah, as a, exactly. Yeah. But but the currency in this world that will really take you far is the act of paying forward, mm. right? If you can help somebody, even if there's no monetary gain, as long as you know that you've done a good deed for the day and you've helped impart some sort of knowledge that's going to help that person succeed and become successful, that stuff will come back to you in karma. And I've seen it. And that's one of the other reasons why Happy Selling is still here, because I try to do good and I try to impart onto others. And it always comes back with love, man. So well, yeah, hell yeah, Happy Selling. You've paid it forward here today. There's no doubt about that. You've helped me. You've helped our audience be happy sellers. And uh, we're, we're grateful to you, man. Thank you. And I got to get you back on the show because I definitely want to unpack so much more. And I do want to wish you luck with my sales coach and that endeavor. Thank you. Keep uh, happy selling rolling. Keep the SDR disco podcast popping. 
And uh, if you need a guest, I know I'm on an SDR, happy to jump on. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're definitely coming on our show, dude, in cool. the future, in the near future. Hell yeah, we're going to get this. But I also wanted to say a massive thank you to you. And I'm really proud to see you put this show on as well. From the bottom of my heart, I'm super happy. Thanks, man. Thank and you. also a massive, uh, big, great gratitude to your listeners and audience for, for joining the show today. And again, if you've got any questions, just reach out to me at happyselling.io and I'll be happy to have a chat. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.